governments and regulators are going to realize the importance of connectivity and why leading in that is critical to providing the railroads for future business. Maybe some of the losers, if you think they can survive the next six months to 12 months, the valuations might actually be more compelling. The, the in-game spending has increased and the market has structurally changed and these are not just sort of short-term cyclical changes. The way we live, consume and work have all been transformed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Companies have been racing to keep up, some turning their business models upside down to keep cash flowing during lockdowns and to secure their place in the post-pandemic world. In this series, we untangle how different sectors are adapting to life with the coronavirus and how permanent those changes could be. The 2020 pandemic has accelerated trends in technology and forced people online in ways they might never have expected. Video conferencing to see your mum as much as your colleagues. Internet shopping when shops are closed. Even seeing your doctor online. Everyday life feels very different, but our connected world has proven not only remarkably resilient, it has flourished. Microsoft's chief executive, Satya Nadella, says his industry has crashed through two years' worth of digital transformation in two months. What does this rapid shift mean for the companies? How are businesses evolving? What further innovation can we expect? And which changes are likely to stick around after the virus is gone? Listen on to find out. Joining me today are three of Fidelity's investment team. Geeta Bell, Global Head of Research for Fixed Income. Geeta, we like to start with numbers on this podcast. Can you give me one stat that's caught your eye in the last few months? 850 million. Dell estimates that out of a global installed PC base of 1.7 billion units, 50% of them cannot run a high quality Zoom or um, Teams call. Nice. Thank you very much indeed. Alongside Geeta, at least virtually, is equity research analyst Ranjeev Juti. Ranjeev, you cover streaming services, the big content providers like Netflix, as well as the video gaming industry, which took home $120 billion last year in game sales. So what number in a nutshell describes some of the changes you've seen take place in those markets? So I go with 60 million. 60 million is the number of players that Call of Duty Warzone, the new free-to-play battle royale game from Activision, racked up in just two months. This is the biggest free-to-play game launch in history. Thank you very much. Are you one of those players? I am indeed, yeah. I've extensively Ah. uh, play-tested it. (laughs) We'll come to that later, I'm sure. Finally, we're joined by Portfolio Manager and Senior Equity Analyst with a focus on connectivity, Sumat Wahi. Sumat, uh, how about you? Give us a figure that tells um, this year's story for you. 70%. That's the amount of time spent increase in Europe for Facebook and Instagram. Given that how much these particular apps were already penetrated into our lives, a 70% increase sounds phenomenal to me. And if you allow me, I'm going to give you another one, uh, if that's okay. Uh, of course. Uh, 300 million. That's the daily meeting participants free and paid for Zoom uh, in April 20, uh, compared to 10 million in December 2019. And why this is interesting, because not only is it a 3,000% increase, but also 300 million is about the same number which Twitter has in terms of subscribers. So within four months, Zoom has as much reach as Twitter. 
And I think 300 million is the number of Zoom calls that I myself have racked up since um, <laughs> we all went into uh, into lockdown. But welcome to you all. Hi. Thank you for having us. Sumat, the last few months have made us all appreciate what we'd probably taken for granted, the extraordinary connectivity that we enjoy. I've heard you say that the fibre optic cables that carry digital information are now as critical to the 21st century economy as railroads were to the 19th century. So well, what sort of things do you mean? Probably not just Zoom calls, but that's, uh, that's an obvious example. Example. No, um, I mean, if, if you take a step back, I think what this pandemic has done, it's uh, it's put a spotlight on the importance of connectivity, its future and its wider implications. From a business perspective, this has led to a step change in existing structural trends, whether it's grocery and commerce or it is digital entertainment or it's uh, virtual schooling or telemedicine or digital transformation of enterprises. Each company now sees online presence as their key storefront. And as a result, the acceleration into uh, being present online has just taken a whole new level at this point in time. Just adding to that, Q1 was the biggest quarter in in history uh, in the US in terms of uh, new broadband subscribers. And it wasn't just a whole load of new subscribers that the, the cable companies were picking up. It was also the fact it was the highest quarter in terms of number of subscribers increasing their broadband speeds as well. Because I think everyone knows how frustrating a a poor quality broadband connection is. You can maybe put up with it if you're just going on Facebook. But when it really impacts your your livelihood, the utility of broadband has increased materially. Something that we're relying on for this podcast as well. Gita, um, this is a big cost for many companies to reposition themselves for a digital first world. As a credit specialist, what sense do you have of which companies are able to manage this change? And I suppose which ones are struggling as well? I think from, from a credit perspective, what we've seen across sectors, tech included, is that the extent of central bank action has really allowed companies to access markets at rates we've never seen before. We've had the biggest months ever in new issuance from companies. And what I think it's enabled them to do is one, shore up their liquidity position if they needed that liquidity, but also it's given them the ability to um, have resources available to manage any incremental costs that have come with with the pandemic. I think the long-term question is, how are any of these companies going to repay the debt that they've now taken on to really rapidly accelerate um, any plans they had for the next few years into the next few months? How are they also reprioritizing some of their costs, uh, perhaps away from things that are suddenly less important and towards kind of the um, at-home working and things like that. Just on that point, Sumat, you talked about um, Zoom and a 3,000% increase in the, the number of Zoom calls. How have they managed to cope with that? Would they have had to um, take on debt to suddenly buy new servers and um, you know t- increase capacity in some way? Well, the beauty of the fact that these businesses, these born-in-the-cloud businesses use uh, cloud services, kind of goes back to what I was talking about in terms of their ability to scale. And what has happened with this influx of uh, interest in the company, clearly they have been able to scale with the help of Amazon and Oracle and Microsoft uh, in terms of their availability. It's not without issues. We've had uh, performance issues from Zoom as well as security issues, but the company has been fairly quick to fix those. And more importantly, in terms of accessing capital, they have gone out and uh, raised more 
primary equity issuance. And at, at that point in time, given the sort of speed with which uh, this company has been growing, I think uh, equity investors have been more than happy to fund uh, a growth of, of that sort. I think that's also one thing is that while the initial stages of a lot of the new issuance was in kind of straight bonds and straight loans, companies drawing down revolving credit facilities, what we've seen in the past month has been a rapid acceleration, the likes of which I've never seen in um, companies accessing the convertible bond market and mm. basically tapping into a whole new new way of um, of offering risk and reward to to their investors. So these are bonds that then convert into equity at some stage um, down, down the line. Should yes. So basically they're they're bonds in the event that the equity market doesn't do well, but they're bonds with that equity market upside. Uh, they will convert or the, the option to, to convert them is at the, the hands of the holder uh, if a price is above, you know, what the bond would be worth. Okay, Ranjeev, one of your companies um, surely is one of the, the companies that um, people will associate with um, with the, the pandemic period of 2020, Netflix. Entire populations have been stuck at home, streaming box sets, um, playing the video games that you, you mentioned at the top. What does that mean for traditional broadcasters, the, the linear broadcasters? So yes, like you said, uh, Netflix has benefited massively from this uh, pandemic. In Q1, they had 15.8 million new customers which is uh, the best course they've had in their history and is, is more than half of the ads they had the, in the entirety of 2019. Some of the shows they've released have become sort of global phenomenons. Uh, I'm sure most uh, listeners would have seen Tiger King. Uh, I think mm. in normal times, a show like that would not have become the, uh, the true worldwide hit that, uh, that it did. In terms of the impact on um, linear uh, TV companies, it, it's been quite negative because the, the key content that people still subscribe to, to linear uh, TV networks for is mostly live sport. And obviously the pandemic has completely shut down all sports leagues, uh, especially in the US. So viewership on, on networks such as ESPN is, is down more than half. During this time, customers have had to still pay the, the $100 fees. There has been no refunds just because there's no sport. So I, I think going forward, customers will think twice about continue to subscribe, to subscribe to these linear services as opposed to switching to cheaper uh, online services. Also, a lot of other players who were umming and ahhing about becoming digital, uh, if you will, or increasing their streaming presence have accelerated their plans on actually offering that, uh, whether it is Disney or some of the other traditional media names. Would you agree? Yes, there's, there's definitely been... So, so whilst most content players had already decided that the future is online, so they were, they're shifting that direction anyway... There's a few that have definitely accelerated that shift. So, for example, uh, like D Disney, like Samant said, they pulled forward content that was potentially going to be in cinemas. For example, the Hamilton the musical um, was going to be released in cinemas in, in Q4 of, of 2021. But instead, that will be released directly to Disney Plus in July this year. So they're, they're really going all in on their uh, direct consumer services. I think this also brings up another interesting um, issue, which is some traditional business models, which just a year ago we thought could survive the downturn that might or might not have occurred otherwise. Now their business model is very much in in question, and it's a it's a real question as to whether they'll come back. So I think about specifically the cinema companies and whether they're ever going to be able to come back the way that they are, because once content providers start releasing content directly to internet the whole question about whether people will still enjoy going to the cinema 
is much more in doubt. I think, furthermore, when the last time the cinemas really faced a, a, a challenge like this and everyone said it's, oh, it's going to go directly to the internet, actually the old established uh, mechanisms of doing things just returned. And you saw basically a um, um, the content come back and, and people still like that experience. And now it's just not clear if they can actually make money even when they're allowed to reopen in the way they historically have. And so we, we've seen some high profile um, restructurings and potential restructurings from large cinema companies uh, in the US. One of the key things there is that the the biggest films like the the Avengers, uh, etc., will always be at the cinema. Those are still going to be the, the the Hollywood blockbusters. But the the smaller films, which maybe would not have done as well at, at box office, will probably go straight to consumer now. And I think the other thing that that's going to happen with these bigger films is that the timing also matters. And there's a lot of box offices right now, or a lot of studios that don't want to release a big blockbuster, uh, certainly in the summer that they might have planned. And so everybody is pushing everything out. And there's this real question, well, if there's nothing to show, even if the cinemas are open, will they be able to service their debt? Will they be able to stay into business long enough for the pandemic to go away? If I may just add something on a different angle. I mean, while while we have seen an acceleration on the streaming side, uh, this this idea of video communication, whether one way in case of video streaming, but also two way has become an, uh, an important aspect of multiple sort of different digital properties. So for example, whether you think about Facebook, messaging and video calling has literally doubled. I mean, Facebook is changing its own sort of product trajectory to increase the amount of video content and video calls on their own product roadmap. Or for that matter, if you think about Tinder, which is a property of Match.com, you know, one would have thought that uh, dating somebody, a stranger at this point of time or, uh, you know, meeting strangers at this point of time is probably not possible. So this company should suffer from it. But what we've seen actually, on, on the other hand, is that this company has not only been able to maintain its uh, subscribers, but actually increase or improve the communication for them by adding uh, stuff like video chatting on that own app. I, I guess the pandemic is accelerating these product roadmaps across multiple digital properties. I want to talk about that the great move um, of working from home. Um, how much of that do you think is is going to stick? Because we're you know we're all sitting in some part of our, our houses um, and uh, managing to to carry on working. There is talk of of higher productivity. How does that square with um, uh, Ranjiv's reports of of people spending their time at home playing games? I do worry about Ranjiv with that a number of times <laughs> when I try to reach out to him. Uh, but, but but on a more serious note, uh, last week uh, we hosted twenty. Uh, tech company CEOs as part of our first ever virtual bus tour, but uh, I guess our 10th Silicon Valley bus tour, if you will. And we asked each one of them, how are you managing work? How are you managing with your workforce? Not one of them talked about a productivity drop. In fact, a number of CEOs talked about the fact that they don't believe they'll come back to a return of 100% workers back in office. Some of them are even thinking about, over time, reducing their office capacity to 50% of what it was pre-pandemic. So this is a structural shift which is taking place because I think that inertia or that sort of viewpoint that people chill out at work, at home and don't work has kind of been lifted. And uh, to a certain extent, you can see that why that's economically also attracted for a number of these companies. 
So to give you an example, Facebook and Twitter have offered that you you don't need to come back to work ever. You can just work from home. And why that's attractive to them is that over time, they hope to pay local wages to their employees rather than Silicon Valley prices because Silicon Valley is a really expensive place to stay. You can imagine that if engineers are allowed to work from anywhere, they will more likely uh, want to be closer to their families or Hawaii for that matter. And those <laughs> places are cheaper to work from than, uh, than the Silicon Valley. So at that point, uh, I think Facebook will have a good argument to make that you know maybe we can reduce it to more local wages level. And on the same point, I, I, I love this, uh, our own sort of uh, uh, anecdotes which we've seen from CEOs. My favorite one is from the VMware CEO. He was talking about the fact that typically in a typical week, if he was trying to focus that on clients, he would Pay, uh, on Monday and Tuesday in Japan, then you know Wednesday, Thursday in Europe, and then uh, maybe do a meeting uh, with another key customer on the East Coast, and finally have a whole heavy-duty week having met with five companies and five CEOs uh, in, in the week and call it a good week. But now he's able to speak to 20 CEOs of 20 key customers within the week, and still half of his uh, time is available because he's not wasting time traveling. And he doesn't want to go back to that. If you look at our own activity, we are getting access to some of the senior CEOs and CFOs a lot faster than we would get because their timetables are a lot more freer. I don't see the need of going seven times uh, a year to Silicon Valley anymore if I can do half of my these rich communication calls through Zoom. So there's an efficiency. It's become much more acceptable to have um, these sorts of meetings um, over, over video conferencing. But you still need face-to-face -face meetings to build up relationships, don't you? Isn't there, isn't there something that we're going to miss that, whether it's within a company or between companies? Certainly. I mean, uh, one of the other aspects which we've been exploring is not all software is equal. Some, uh, And as we know in, in the software world, that you need to sell software rather than it attracting uh, customers itself. So you need these sort of quota-carrying salespeople being able to play golf with a potential customer and try to convince them on the traction of that particular uh, software and how it'll change processes within within the business. Um, I guess uh, the way these companies are talking about it is one, customers themselves are a lot more accessible online and are able to take a pitch of a particular product online. But instead of you know meeting with these customers in, uh, first and meeting them 10 times before closing uh, a particular pitch, I think uh, how it's going to shift in the future is you talk to them five times, you present the idea, and then meet in person to close the deal, if you will. So I, I think the shape of selling is going to change, uh, if not the entire selling motion, if you will. I was just going to add in in one thing that I think, at least from a personal standpoint, but I've I've heard this echoed from a number of different people that I've I've spoken to across a number of companies and internally at Fidelity, is, is once you realize that you can be this productive and efficient um, working from home, all of a sudden, when you start thinking about our long-term environmental future and our carbon footprint, how much is everyone gonna say, I need to get on a plane to do a long haul flight just to go and meet a customer, when actually for several months now, we've been able to do that virtually. And yes, you need, I, I don't think travel will disappear, but I think that all of us are going to realize that we can do a lot more from home than we ever realized before because we've been doing it. Um, and that gives us an opportunity on the environmental side to rethink some of our historic practices. So what are the implications and the longer term implications if we're going to be able to do this from home? What, what other things need to change? I would just say, you know, if we go back to my number at the beginning, the 850 million, and, and we start thinking about the number of PCs that we have at people's homes and, and the number of tablets and other devices, 
the more people in one household who are online for work and for school, the more devices we're going to need. And I think that's already starting to come through in company numbers. So I think there's a hardware element to this. I think the software is getting there. I think the 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 bandwidth is getting there. But I think, um, you know, at least from a personal standpoint, I think the number of devices that we will end 2020 with in our household is going to be very different than the number that we started with. And we were already a pretty connected household. <laughs> I should hope so. Um, Ranji, let, let, let's turn to, to, to leisure time and um, how you think some of the changes that we've seen in this weird lockdown period, how many of those are going to, to stick? I mean, f- first of all, tell me just how have the, uh, the gaming companies, for example, how have they performed um, in this period? Have they, have they done as well as the Netflix of this world? Yeah, so the, the gaming companies have done incredibly well uh, year to date. Uh, Activision, Take-Two, EA have been some of the top performers uh, in the in the S and P and in the uh, U S market in general, with with gaming, you have the the added benefit of the increased unit sales. So in general, people are just buying more games because they're spending more time at home. But even within that, uh, the gaming companies make about half their revenue from selling items and and currency etc. within the games. So it's called in game spending. So that tracks very closely to engagement. So as players are, are spending a lot more time at home. The, the engagement is going up. For example, the uh, number of hours viewed on Twitch, which is a uh, sort of gaming streaming service, were up 50% in, in March and April. And uh, the, the data usage reported by Verizon, which is the largest US telecoms carrier, the gaming was up 75%. So engagement is well up. So as that has increased, the, the in-game spending has increased and uh, all the companies reported very strong uh, Q1 numbers. So a bonanza now, but, but does that carry on after lockdown? After lockdown ends? That's a, a key question we sort of grapple with as investors. How much of this is just uh, existing users uh, increasing demand just because there's nothing else to do? And how much has the total addressable market actually expanded? How many new customers and players have been bought into the ecosystem? When we look at a company like Activision, who has a business in the US, but also in China, mostly on their World of Warcraft game, they've seen that even when Asian countries have come out of lockdown, because they were in front of us in Europe, uh, engagement has stayed heightened, not the same level as the peak of lockdown, but it's still much higher than pre-lockdown levels. So looking forward, it looks like the the market has structurally changed and these are not just sort of short-term cyclical changes, which is obviously a, a big benefit to, to the gaming companies over the long term. So is this the, the shift, the shock um, that will tip the, the, the scales away from traditional broadcasting, that people are, are leaving their televisions away now and just moving onto the various gadgets that are in the bowel households, perhaps? Personally, I, I do think so. So one of the things that COVID has done is is accelerated previous shifts. Like the, the number of players for, for video gaming was already increasing. The sort of eyeballs on sort of broadcast TV was already decreasing. But like with the, the enterprise tech companies where we've had a few years of change all in a few months, I think we've seen the, the same sort of thing uh, on the leisure side, both with the gaming companies and also with the, with the streaming services. Let's have a look at um, regulation now, because if we look at this idea of connectivity, um, it's more and more like a utility. We're all having to use it all day, every day. And governments everywhere are waking up to the importance of reliable digital infrastructure, and they're beginning to regulate it like a utility. So, Sumat, um, what does that mean for telecoms companies and the internet um, providers? From this pandemic, I I do think both individuals and governments and regulators are going to realise the importance of 
connectivity and why leading in that is critical to providing the railroads for future business, uh, if you will. Can you explain that with a few examples? If you think about Disney Plus, when they were launching across uh, Europe, France was having bandwidth availability issues. And as a result, the French regulator actually had to ask Disney Plus to actually delay their release within France by a week or two so that they can actually manage the amount of uh, bandwidth available to their population. And I, I think what, what this is highlighting to regulators, and, and as you know, in TMT, nothing is about just one variable. We have the added variable of US-China trade war or tech trade war going on right now. So we have on one side the telcos in Europe, which are lagging on investment in 5G. And at the same time, you uh, you know, we have this elevated importance of connectivity. So I feel at the back of this, you may see at least in Europe, regulators sort of taking a step back and allowing probably some mergers among geographies uh, where there are, say, four telecom providers for a population of as small as 50, 60 million uh, users. So I, I feel like that would be one step change. And I think from government's perspective, there'll be a lot more collaborative with the telecom players because after this I, I don't think any particular lawmaker will disagree that you know telecom connectivity is probably as important as any other utility look at this from a, a u.s perspective uh, we, we've seen massive increases in, in data usage so for example comcast said there was a 30 percent increase but we haven't seen speeds drop off and i think that's a, a testament to the amount of investment that the cable companies and telecom providers have made uh, into the into their networks and it's almost an argument against regulation, because if the monthly broadband fees were, were capped and telecoms providers weren't making as much cash as they were previously, they wouldn't be able to make the same sort of investments in the network. And like Samant said earlier, the, the US is, is much further ahead in terms of 5G compared to Europe, partially because of the, the higher prices that customers pay and the sort of telecoms and cable providers are in a much healthier state. What about when the thing that your business relies on um, has stopped? We all know about, you know, uh, hotel and catering. That that, that industry um, has, has been shut down completely. But Gita, um, you cover the big gambling companies. Many of them have um, built up huge businesses online uh, over the past few years. But how have they coped with the pandemic when there's been nothing to bet on? There's been no sport, as Ranjeev was talking earlier on, um, when he was talking about the, uh, the, the sports broadcasters. I think it's actually a very similar theme to, to what both Samantha and Ranjeev have already discussed in that we're accelerating the trends that were already in place. Um, so first of all, the companies that have large online presence um, are burning through much less cash than those that were uh, purely retail um, bricks and mortar businesses. Um, so the, the online has been really helpful against that. And while there's been no sport to bet on, um, there are still kind of online games that look like roulette and things like that, that people have been able to engage with and have kind of just shifted the mix of what they were doing online more towards those sorts of games. But I think there's also a regulatory element here, which is that the, the regulation of online gaming, the, the acceleration of online gaming, particularly in the US, I think um, now will accelerate. Um, the U.S. had already opened to the possibility of sports betting um, a couple of years ago um, due to a Supreme Court decision, and, and everybody had been talking about the U.S. as the next market. And I think that um, as the casinos and, um, and other gaming establishments realized that actually they would have fared much better through this had they had more of an online presence, they will accelerate the investments they'd already planned to make. 
So whilst there's been no live sports, there has actually been some uh, e-sports. So for example, for FIFA, which is made by EA, which is the sort of football game, you could actually bet on people playing FIFA on some gambling websites in the absence of, of real live sport. And also, if you think about when this lockdown gets lifted, that doesn't mean that stadiums will get filled right away. So you will have all of these followers of games online, probably watching it streaming on Amazon or Twitter, for that matter. Twitter CFO on Friday was talking about bringing the stadium to Twitter. And then you can easily see them watching it over there and then going back and uh, sort of betting on the online gambling websites, if you will, because that'll be the only route to feel like you are, you know, sort of following the game, if you will. And I think that's one of the things that we've talked a lot about um, as analysts of the sector is that, you know, even when some of the restrictions on sport let up, that doesn't mean that the restrictions on um, ability to congregate, for example, in pubs in the UK are going to change. And if you have two meter distancing, then that basically pushes everybody to watch from home. And if they're already watching from home, are they more likely to be betting online or, you know, that's how it follows. What does it mean as investors, though? What are the sorts of things that you're having to look for now as you choose um, the, the, the winners and, and, and the losers? Gita? I think, look, it's, it's all about business mix, no matter what company you're looking at. Even if you think, for example, generically tech companies are doing well, there are companies that have clearly done better out of this than others. There are companies that have certain lower margin businesses that are doing better, but that's not compensating for what they've lost on the, the higher margin side. Um, so I think it's really down to going company by company. And, and you can't really make these broad sweeping statements about this sector is doing great, unless it's the sector that Ranjeev is, is covering, which might be generically doing great. <laughs> Ranjeev, is, is that the case for you, that it's just across the board they're doing well? So essentially, anything that's uh, online, so the gaming stuff and the streaming services, is all done great. The, the linear TV stuff and the cinemas, etc., have done terribly. The, the key thing to think about from the streaming perspective for Netflix or Disney is how much of these new subscribers is, is pulled forward. So these are subs that would have joined in, in Q4 or in next year anyway. And how much have you widened your total addressable market? And I think for, for Netflix, the, the, the way to look at that is the sort of demographics of the new subscribers. So are you getting perhaps older subscribers who you wouldn't have expected to get previously? Or are you getting subscribers who maybe would have shared a, a password before, but because your usage is up so much now, you, you prefer to have your own connection? And Sumant, what are you, what are you looking for? I think uh, Gita and Ranjeev made some really interesting points on it. On margin, uh, what I'm thinking about is more uh, things which have benefited from the from the lockdown, how much they deteriorate post-lockdown in terms of their business activity and uh, which ones are structural. So to give you a few examples, for for example, on gaming, uh, in, in the fund, we've been uh, thinking, we've been trimming it because we feel that, you know, when schools open up, people will spend a little bit more time studying and as a result the gaming evasion will go down at the same time OTA travel or companies or uber like companies they're going they're going to go from negative 90% to negative 50% and that's still an improvement and that that is the kind of names we are investing in um but then there are some structural changes so for example if you think about e-commerce 
in the West, e-commerce penetration was always half of that in the East for multiple of reasons from existing offline uh, brick and mortar uh, sort of retailers available in the West and not being there in the East to just uh, historical habits. But when the prime minister of a country, for example, in the UK is telling uh, its population that you need to go and order online, that chain removes some barriers. So inertia, both from merchants uh, as well as from users has changed uh, on uh, when it comes to uh, online shopping. And as a result, I, I believe that in some of these things, for example, e-commerce, uh, the numbers we are seeing that, you know, e-commerce has jumped from 15% penetration to 28% will probably remain at those levels. And, and that is something structured and we'll continue to play that medium to longer term. There's a valuation element to all of this. I mean, we've been talking mm. a huge amount about the underlying fundamentals of these companies, but ultimately... You know, companies like Netflix, for example, everybody has known they would do well through the whole of the pandemic. And and therefore, from, from a fixed income point of view, it's not like their bonds were ever absolutely on the floor. So they were a great investment. Um, but if you're going to play the rebound story, um, actually, maybe some of the losers, if you think they can survive the next six months to 12 months, they have enough resource to get through that period the valuations might actually be more compelling from the bond point of view um, than than those companies that everybody knows are already winners. So that's a, a really great point. So whilst I cover the, the streaming stuff, I also cover live entertainment services. So for example, uh, companies like Live Nation who own Ticketmaster and Formula One, these would seem like counterintuitive investments because obviously there's there's no, no racing and, and there's obviously no concerts. But as Gita said, once you can look at the company and say, they have enough cash to survive. The balance sheet looks fine. Yes, 2020 will be bad, but has the, the business long-term structurally been impaired? Well, probably not. People will eventually go back to concerts and Formula One racing will eventually restart. And then it's a valuation question. And some of those stocks were incredibly cheap, down 60, 70% uh, in March and, and have since had some sort of rebound as investors changed their way of thinking. Okay, the last question I'd like to put to you all is... What are the innovations, the, the new innovations that we perhaps haven't seen yet um, that are going to be triggered by the step change that, um, that, that we've gone through? Suman, let me come to you. The fact that there, uh, there are more people online is creating a lot more data online and it's also allowing a lot of other businesses to literally transform themselves online. So to give you a few examples of that, traditionally, you would have thought that insurers or some of the traditional brick and mortar businesses uh, were very slow and uh, for regulatory purposes, also very slow to move online. So another really good example, which I missed was education and medicine. Both of these spaces have been historically really slow at moving online, whether it's for regulatory reasons or because your old professor just doesn't want to teach online because he doesn't feel like he gets the same sort of atmosphere for teaching his students. But this particular pandemic has forced uh, both students online as well as patients online. And at the same time, decades of changes happen in regulatory side on healthcare in within weeks. The speed at which, uh, for example, we're allowed to FaceTime our GP uh, in UK, which is never a possibility. I mean, I, I couldn't even get a phone call with our GP, uh, both from a time availability and as well as from a regulatory perspective. This has been a step change in both of these sectors. And uh, you can see that in the share price of some of the online education companies, or for that matter, some of the teledoc companies you have in the United States. But in large parts of the world, which I mean, healthcare typically is a very fragmented space, large parts of the world, this is really at the very early stages of its penetration. And I feel these are two areas where you will definitely see innovation. 
especially in healthcare, you add telemedicine, you add people online. You don't necessarily need that many uh, doctors online because you could pretty much start now using artificial intelligence to sort of form a form, sort of a triage before you actually go to a real doctor. So there's lots of positive implications coming out of this pandemic. Robotic nursing. Um, Gita, how about you? I don't think from from the things that I look at that we're going to see a whole bunch of new innovation. I think it's more the fact that we're going to see innovations that we saw in one market transplant to another market. So the move of online gambling, which has been dominant in, in a number of European countries for a number of years, I think we'll see a lot more like that in, in the US and things like that. So I think it's going to be those kinds of um, innovations that we see. I do agree on the education point as well. I think we we will see now changes as people realize that there are some benefits um, that that have come for some groups of students from from being online for a greater percentage of their their education. And Ranjit, finally to you. So I'd, I'd agree with Gita that maybe some of the, the innovation was already happening, but it's, it's going a, a lot faster than, than previously thought. So for example, on the, on the streaming services side, the increase in the number of subscribers is sort of like a big tick saying, yes, what you're doing is right. Online is the future. It's an affirmation of your business plan. So maybe accelerate your investment in that. Uh, like Disney are doing, bring more content onto your online services and maybe even think about bringing stuff like live sports online. Like maybe in the future we'll see a Netflix of sports or, or something similar like that. And I did want to give you the last word, but I saw Sumant wave his, uh, his hand just then. I did want to point out this, that the big unknown over here is that in my living memory, there's nothing been of this sort which has forced the entire world to go indoors. This will have long-lasting habitual and cultural changes of how we think about society, how content is created in Ranjiv's world, or how business do, businesses do business, if or enterprises do business. So there's this unknown, which we need to continue to follow and see. I mean, you know, the good part, to a certain extent, if you will, if from a forecasting perspective, is that in some parts of the world, you're seeing lockdown being lifted, in other parts not. But even when lockdown is being lifted, congestion of humans in a particular enclosed space is not happening. So that will have some longer lasting repercussions, which we can't forecast at this point of time, and which I think uh, as investors in equity markets, we need to continue to follow. Stay tuned, because that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you to my guests, Gita Bell, Sumatwahi and Ranjiv Jiti. You can hear more from Fidelity's investment team on the COVID-19 crisis, market response and investment implications on both our Rich Pickings and Fidelity Answers podcast channels. Just search for those titles on your podcast app. And you can also read all the latest thinking online at fidelityinternational.com. The producer was Seb Morton-Clark with production support from Alex Wilcox and Madison Fletcher. From all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.